This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and today we have a real treat. We have Dr. Dan Carlin. He's the founder and CEO of World Clinic. He pioneered World Clinic's innovative concierge telemedicine model. He's a national leader in the field of telemedicine, and he's a recognized pioneer in the delivery of medical care to distant populations, board-certified emergency physician, and a former U.S. Navy medical officer, Commander Carlin. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I uh, I haven't received that title in about 30 years, but I still love you. <laughs> in any case, it's a privilege to have you on the show. For the business owners listening out there, it's extremely important. You know, as you work really, really hard, you have a tendency to neglect, or at least most that I know, neglect healthcare. And when you have a liquidity event, it seems like you wake up with all the things you want to do and your health care or your health condition is not going to support your efforts. So for Dr. Carlin to be on the show and talk about what we can do about that, tell us a bit about what World Clinic's about and how you got into World Clinic. Sure, sure. Before I jump in there, I just want the audience, I'm coming from a place, I'm an entrepreneur also, I'm a physician, but... I'm not in the uh, in the in the big white tower of medicine here. I want to. I really want to talk on the ground level. Like this is what's going on. And I'm 60 years old, and I've built a successful practice and a company. So these issues I'm talking about, they're they're also personal. So I, I want to speak one on one around this stuff. So let me tell you about World Clinic very quickly. It's a 22 year old telemedicine practice. Back in the 90s, I was absolutely a pioneer trying to figure out how do I deliver healthcare at a distance using the internet. I had a big vision for it. I've seen most of that vision come to pass. It hasn't been easy. It's been a lot of struggles along the way, but also a lot of su- some amazing successes. Now here in, in 2020, this is a private concierge level telemedicine practice. We take care of families, executives, corporations. We've gone from super yachts because my naval background, Bob, really suited me well for taking care of ships. We went from super yachts to the families that own those super yachts to the companies in the portfolios of the families. And now at this point, we've broadened out to taking care of, in some cases, C-suite executives, in some cases, an entire workforce. So we've, we sort of did that classic marketing strategy thing of start with a niche market, expand, expand, use technology to scale. And at this point, we still have our original families. Uh, most of them are still with us 20 years later and now several generations worth, lots of corporate executives, but I'm happy to report where I'm now taking care of line workers, construction workers, these kind of things. And it's been a fun, challenging journey. But the biggest thing I've seen, I just want to close the loop here, is I know a ton of entrepreneurs that kind of put their health care and their basic health and wellness as a third or fourth or fifth place issue behind their business, their business, their family, and their business. So. I want to start out with this idea of if you're closing in on the, that liquidity event or the transition event, or if you're just north of 55, I want to talk to you in really stark terms this morning about, I need you to treat your healthcare as an asset, as important as your business. Because I really want you to be around when that day comes, when you step away from the business and you have time to enjoy the broader pleasures of life including family and travel and all of those things, and including your legacy. So that's where we're going to start. I even think about the the business owner that just took and bought a brand new business. He's looking over the next three to five years to take and turn around, grow, or scale that business. 
and you look at the workload they're going to be taking on board, I would think that a critical component is the viability of that business owner. And so I even seen this as a risk management piece for that new business development guy. No, it absolutely is. I would say in our corporate executive world, which is about 58% of the business right now, the driver by far is risk management. Keeping high-functioning executives healthy, keeping them in a state where, well, I'll be really, really blunt here. If they're healthy, they're happy. If they're happy, they perform. And it's their performance that's driving so much of the value of the company. So that being proactive and keeping them healthy is great. The other side of the risk management, of course, is obviously you got to really prevent a sudden unexpected event. And honestly, that's how I make my living. When we get a new executive, the very first thing we do is saying, so show me your executive physical. And a lot of the executives still, <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I said, well, where are your medical records? And you look at the medical records and they sort of haphazard and really kind of incomplete. One of our first things is, okay, I'm sending you in for a one or two day executive physical, depending on how old you are and what your risk factors are and what we kind of think might be sneaking up on you. Then we get that all done. Usually it's one day. If you're older, it's two days. Then I get all the records at once, a really nice tight package. Then my partners and I will pick those records apart looking for risk. For example, unrecognized hypertension or borderline diabetes. Or we'll see in the records like, hey, there's a really strong family history of pancreatic cancer, but you haven't had a CT scan in five years. What's going on? They're like, well, pretty inconvenient to get a CT scan. It's like, I'm sorry, boss. That is not negotiable. You've got the wrong family history. So we got to get this under aggressive surveillance. So if it does emerge, we take care of it before it becomes a life-threatening problem. So get that executive, we get the executive physical, pick it apart, find the risk, and then jump on the risk and get very aggressive in terms of monitoring surveillance and managing. I think about that business owner, you know, and circling back, when you were looking at starting your business, you know, and you're a business owner, like the audience is a business owner. Did you envision way back when the purpose that your business has evolved into now? Actually, no. I think I was fortunate enough to be so utterly naive to not realize what I was really attempting to do. You know, in my late 30s, I thought I was so smart. Well, I think about the regulatory hurdle. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't have conceived of some of the barriers that were coming. What I could see, though, was the sort of the ultimate manifestation of the vision, which was, hey, as the world becomes more connected, Guys like me, my capacity to deliver healthcare at a distance is going to be really improved, better. My ability to organize a lot of detailed information is going to get a lot better, and there'll be huge efficiencies there. What I didn't really foresee and really struggled with for a while is why the rest of the system, meaning healthcare at large, they didn't really embrace that vision. You know, they had a business model built on insurance, paying for end stage disease. And they had no interest in preventing disease or using technology in a new way. They were very happy with the business model as it existed back then. And that was tough. It's strange, Bob, honestly. COVID's done more to reform the, the, the sins of our current healthcare system than anything ever in the course of my life. It has shown these huge gaps of, so how do you take care of a person when they can't come to a bricks and mortar office? And by the way, there's millions of them. 
right? <laughs> What's your solution when we don't have one? And then you go, what happens if a family member has COVID? Who lives in the basement? How do you take in all of that or do you or don't you? And for you guys, it was interesting. I was going back and looking at your website and I was looking at your core values statement, you know, and I thought that was really worth repeating or talking about. So for you, how did you evolve into the core values for your company? Well, so just to be clear, four core values, honor, courage, kindness, curiosity. Some of those are personal inclinations, but um, honestly, some of it is the way I was raised. Some of it was actually what I acquired in the military. And some of it was an awareness of what it takes to really endure. Every entrepreneur, you've got to be a tough son of a gun to get through all the crazy things that happen, the obstacles that hit, that come along, the knockdown pitches that almost take you out. And if you're not really clear on who the heck you are and what you stand for, you're doomed. Because when that knockdown pitch does knock you down and you're dusting yourself off and you're saying, wait, how are we going to endure this? Okay, well, this is what I believe in. I believe in honor. I believe in doing the right thing. I believe in courage. Of all the qualities, I think it's the most important quality. And I despise cowardice. My staff knows this. I'm a doctor. Kindness is critical. And kindness includes every variation of that, like compassion and listening. And then lastly, we're a bunch of physician scientists who are halfway to nerdville curiosity is a big deal for us like if you got my cto on this call he'd say well yeah kindness is good but curiosity is better because he's always wanting to solve a problem you know we give him these crazy goofy things like how would we manage hypertension in four thousand diabetics in southern texas and he'd say i don't know how would you know and then he wants to pull it apart and he wants to on a, the curiosity basis sort it out so those four things kind of capture the whole show for us. And ironically, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs, if you're clear about this, you'll attract the right people and the wrong people will have no interest in you. They'll be like, I'm not, you know, that's well, you know, I think about the benefit of working with business owners and family offices. I mean, you think about the back education that you get from your clients. For me, the gift of the podcast is I get educated by really smart people on every episode. And so it really populates your mind. And, you know, thinking about your ideal client, what would be typical or ideal client for the listener out there go, well, is that me or is this for me? Who's the ideal client? It's a really good question. It depends on how old you are. So let me start with some general criteria. The ideal client is someone who doesn't have time to spend on their health care. They're recognizing there's complexity. There's a tremendous amount of inconvenience. And they literally just want to hire a physician group to solve their problem set. Now, here it gets interesting. Sometimes the problem set's really simple. It's a young executive. They have good care. And they're like, hey, I just want someone to answer the phone when I get sick when I'm on the road. And I want you guys to know who I am. And I want one of your prescription medical kits. And But that's all I want. Okay, happy to do that. The typical client is a busy executive who is traveling a lot, does not have a lot of marginal time in their life for any kind of inconvenient process or procedure. And healthcare is one of the few things you can't mail in, so to speak, through an assistant or a personal assistant. So it's like, darn, they're stuck with this problem. How do they make it easier? Well, you hire a guy like me, 
And we step in and say, okay, our app's on your phone 24-7. We're going to answer the phone in 35 seconds. And the doctor's going to know who you are because it's we're a small group. We know everybody in our practice, if you will. Uh, so there's no surprises. And we got all your records. That client's like, I have no marginal time. I've got a rash. How bad is this? What do I need to do? Or an issue has been raised by a coworker or a family member and saying, hey, dad, you haven't never had a cardiac stress test. Shouldn't you have one? You know, you're like, your dad died of a heart attack at 57. You're 57. And now, now the executive's like, okay, now I need to transfer a problem. It started in my family, but now I got to transfer it to someone who's going to play the handout with me. And of course, we, we do that. And then finally, we have a number of older patients. And again, they have in common this busyness. And they said, I've gotten complex medically. It snuck up on me, but I've got four or five conditions. My specialists aren't talking to each other. And I, I don't really have a plan. I don't really have an organized, coordinated, calendared plan for this stuff. Like I have in every other part of my life, I've got a plan and it's on calendar and I've got this delegated and said, can you guys step in here? Because this is what I've got. I've got diabetes. I've got hypertension. I've got a strong family history of lung cancer or whatever it might be. And I've got osteoarthritis and I still want to play golf. So fix it get these things organized for me and get me to goal. So that's very reflective of kind of our client base. We have simple folks. You know, it's quarterbacking the process. And the things that I think about is access to expertise. If you're in a particular area of the country, you may or may not have the best of the best in your locale, where you may be familiar with the best of the best in another location. That's true. That's true. Some parts of the country are medically underserved. That, that's quite clear. And then if, if you're unfortunate enough to have a complex condition like a rare form of cancer or anything that requires really sophisticated surgical services like neurosurgery, et cetera, it may not be available nearby, near where you are. We spend a lot of time on this and we do a, a fair bit of kind of sourcing second opinions for complex conditions like cancer, like advanced heart disease, kidney failure, weird, strange, almost like life-threatening allergy type situations. But these specialists, they're well-known and they're well-known in the literature, in the scientific literature. So I, I'll look up a condition like polycythemia vera. This is a disease of the bone marrow. If it's well-managed, it's not a big deal. If it's not well-managed, it can set you up for lymphomas, leukemias, these kind of things. So if I've got a patient with polycythemia vera, We'll look up the top four or five people doing research in the United States, call them doctor to doctor and say, hey, who's the best clinician you know? Meaning who's the best doctor in practice that's really good at polycythemia vera, that knows the research you're doing at Loyola in Chicago or Sloan Kettering in New York. And we start putting that team together and you create a plan around that condition. It's really effective, especially if you live in a rural area and have that as an asset. It's really really incredibly valuable. Well, and I think of the, of the time saving of yeah. that process for the folks listening out there, they're going like, so what should I expect in the range of potential expenditures for the range of services that you guys offer? So a lot of it will depend on age and if you're bringing a lot of conditions to the table, but let me give you some general average numbers. Okay. Well, let's start with those, those healthy road warriors. We call them silver level of service we typically charge them around 4000 bucks a year. They get a medical kit, medevac policy. 
to get their records and it's unlimited. The only precondition is you got to be more than 100 miles from your home. The next level up is your typical busy executive who just wants a doctor to answer the phone, but he wants it 24-7, no limitations. And we said we call those gold level or executives. We charge them typically eight to 10,000 bucks a year, unlimited. Some executives cost once a year. Some executives cost once a week. We don't care. Every medical practice is like that, seriously. But the idea is we're your answer when an answer is needed right now. We're the answer. You open the app, hit the button, and you're going to talk to me or one of my partners. And then finally, we have what we call Platinums. And they're a little bit more difficult to price. Up to age 65, and if you're not terribly sick or have a major condition, they're between 15 and 20,000 bucks a year. But that's a situation where we're basically stepping in and organizing every element of your healthcare and with a big emphasis on the preventive side. These are the guys that we're plugging in to get an executive physical, getting all the results, following up on the results, making sure that things that are supposed to be surveilled on calendar get done on calendar. We do take care of a ton of folks north of age 65. Some of them have very serious pre-existing conditions. And then at that point, it's sort of a custom pricing. Year one, we make an educated guess. Year two, we have a pretty good handle on what's going on and we can revise the price accordingly. We're fortunate, you know, our typical client base renews about 96% of itself renews every year. So we rarely lose a client. So we have a nice longitudinal history with these folks. And again, we're not dependent on insurance billing. I have a very frank conversation with a client at the end of the year saying, you know, you didn't call us last year. Are you really healthy or you just don't like us? (laughs) And they'll be like, no, I love you guys. I'm like, well, look, the price is wrong. Because you're not calling us, so we'll revise the price downward. Conversely, we have one or two patients, they've had a rough year, and I'll call them up and say, okay, two years ago, you called us 20 times. Last year, you called us 200 times. I got to take the price up a little bit, but you're almost done with this journey through prostate cancer or whatever the heck it is. You got to make it work, right? You if you're on speed dial, it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> we have one or two folks on speed dial. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, boy. Yeah. You know, as we talk about the expense, one of the things I think is fascinating is we touched on it before, the economic value of extended lifespan versus the investment in managing your health care. And if you would, could you explore that economic value we talked about before the episode started? Yeah, sure, sure. The economic value is real. And I, I really want to drive this point home. All entrepreneurs are very, very dollar savvy, dollar aware, cost aware in particular. And I think the average male, and and I mean that in the most sexist way I can possibly say that, is the average male will down prioritize health and he'll look at cost and say, that's not worth it. But then he'll look at a a tennis court, a car, a vacation and, and up prioritize that and spend the money. But in my world, I see how this plays out over a decade, two decades, three decades. People that pay attention to their health typically live 10 to 12 to 15 years longer than people that don't. Now with entrepreneurs, it's very interesting because these are folks, successful entrepreneurs, they've acquired wealth. And it's typically, in the you know, they're closing in on 65 or 50 or whatever it is, but now they have a nest egg. And this is where it gets really interesting. So let's say your nest egg earns, say 10% a year. 
you engage a guy like me or a great concierge practice that's really paying attention to the details and planning and facilitating, enabling the healthcare to happen, a guy like me is going to give you 15 years. Okay, great. You're making 10% a year. So you just do the math, rule of 72. I just quadrupled your nest egg. Your nest egg's four times bigger than if you hadn't made the investment in your healthcare. That's a lot of money to have fun with, to pass on to your kids, to start your next company, to build your legacy, fund your philanthropy, whatever it is. But you are now, so your post-exit event, you're now in a situation where the portfolio now is now much more, you're not hands-on in your assets as much as you once were, but you have a successful portfolio. It's, it's returning every year that you're here. My goal is to give you 15 and quadruple the portfolio. And so you can do a lot more with assets that you built over the course of your lifetime. And again, a lot of entrepreneurs don't see that. They don't do the math on that. They certainly understand portfolios and ROI and internal rates of return, but they don't see themselves as the fundamental variable in all that. I think about the calculation return on investment on the nominal cost on an annual basis for going like you should be here next year, you know, and your kids will probably want you here next year. And I think about Pennywise Pound Foolish comes to mind kind of thing. Yeah, I'm going to make you laugh, Bob. I've had people uh, argue with me about the cost of services. And uh, I'll say, look, you're going to have to part with the 12,000 bucks for this executive physical. It's a cash cost. And they're ripping me up real bad. And I'll say, come on, man. I know how much it cost you to resurface the tennis court in your backyard last year. And you're giving me a hard time about an executive physical. So I get a baseline on you so I can keep track of how you're doing. It's a great looking tennis court, but I assure you, I'd much rather see you than the tennis court next year. You know, it's the richest person in the cemetery type thing, you know, and you go, really, that doesn't help you much for you guys. As you look back over the past 22 years, how do you see the evolution of what you guys are doing or how's the mission that you guys perform? How's that changed? Well, the, the mission is pretty much always been the same. Leverage connectivity to deliver health care to people who need it. That's always been the mission. Let's do that. Now, when I started, there was absolutely no market for what I was doing other than those with enough disposable income to recognize its value, write a check, and here we go. So these were high net worth families. And then it, as we demonstrated our value over time, we got hired down into the, the companies, the portfolio companies of these families. They would tell their friends about us. And we were starting to come down market from the centimillionaire or decamillionaire to just the plain old millionaire. But the interesting part is you're starting to get a lot more patients, a lot more people to take care of. And on the IT side, we're constantly trying to build scalability into our systems. So this was really fun for me. You started out with a handful of folks, then you got a bushel of folks. And now at this point, we've got we have one company we care for. We have 9,000 construction workers scattered across the Southern United States. And this is sort of a dream come true because, you know, you started out in one place. It's been a really interesting journey showing all this scalability, but it's in line with the mission, right? Leverage connectivity to those who need it. And uh, I can assure you a construction worker on a remote solar site in the middle of nowhere in the Okeechobee swamp in Florida, he needs it. 
when something happens to that gal or that guy, he needs it. So we're feeling really good about how that mission statement worked out. You know, having grown up in the Deep South, I think about the interpreter required for some of the calls that come in. (laughs) My accent's kind of gone, but some of them are pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of times where you say things like, I'm I'm sorry, I think the line cut out for a second. Just say that really slowly. And and then it's a whole different word. And you're like, oh, I think he just said stomach or leg. Oh, Oh, yeah. The fun part, shifting gears a bit, COVID is front and center in the media and for many folks on what they're doing. For you guys, how has that impacted you guys or what's your thoughts on the COVID problem? So COVID's been a rough ride for the country at large. And for a lot of folks, more than 100,000 people have lost their life at this point. COVID is a wake-up call to the nation. Healthcare in the United States has been very slow to adopt connectivity and digital sciences to deliver its product. I mean, if you think about it, Bob, every other industry managed to embrace the digital connectivity to offer a superior experience. Banking, shopping, I mean, virtually anything. Uh, virtually every other industry, all the safety industries, they all use this connectivity and digital sciences to do better. That didn't happen in healthcare because the business model was driven by delivery of services in person with a very heavy bend on the delivery, on on the money towards procedures, which are done in person or imaging, which are done in person. So we never developed the distributed systems that you see in things like banking or commerce. COVID has shaken that Etch-A-Sketch pretty bad, and it's wiped out a lot of our assumptions. And now we're looking at, okay, how are we going to take care of 350 million people when they can't come to the office? We're way behind the curve, way behind the curve. Guys like me, this is probably the greatest redemption we could have ever prayed for. I still wouldn't have prayed for this one because the cost has been so high. But this is redemption. This says, holy cow, you told were you right. So. Told you so. Told you so. And I have a bunch of other colleagues who are gloating, gloating a lot more loudly than I am. But this sense of, yeah, guys, let's start using these tools. Let's start putting stuff as much of our healthcare as we can onto the phone. Whether it's monitoring someone's blood pressure cuff and the blood pressure cuff talks to the phone and the phone talks to my office in a database. I couldn't be happier about that. In the context of my business, because we have a lot of entrepreneurs, this has blown the doors off any concept we had of success in the sense we are beyond expectations. We've exceeded our three-year expectations in four and a half months. Yeah, I, I think about that as a business person, just trying to scale. You know, I huh. saw where you, you at, there was a press release. There was a physician that worked in the White House that just joined you folks, I think. Yeah, I was very fortunate. Bill Lang, great friend, great colleague, is the former pandemic planner for the White House under Presidents Bush and Clinton. So we we hit the exacta, right? We picked first and second, right? Bill's been amazing in terms of rendering common sense to how do we respond to the pandemic? How do you take care of 9,000 construction workers in Florida and the southern states where the pandemic is running wild? Bill's had the answer and we've built systems around it. We've had to hire a lot of folks in a relatively short period of time, keep them very close at hand. One of the guys we hired was Dan Parks, again, former U.S. Army, former medical director for the FBI, super, super smart guy. He's come onto the call schedule doing a great job. So it's interesting. You're making me think about something here, which is 
I think being in the military as it sort of organizes your thinking along the lines of like taking care of an entire population. Whereas when you're just in plain old practice, you tend to think about just taking care of, of the patients in your practice. So maybe we had a little, a sensibility that was a little bit broader than most, but it's converted into big, really big success for us right now. You know, it's taking care of the troops. And sounds, that's, you sound exactly like Bill or Dan. Yeah. You take care of the troops. troops. And I think, you know, as you, you have a, a strong brand, a strong culture. And I think the, you know, the issues of scale really quickly to meet demand. And one of the bigger challenges, get everybody organized and get the culture transmitted to everybody. So they have same approach. Yeah. What are you guys doing to transmit culture? How's that going? Well, we lead with that. To be perfectly honest, we're interviewing people. We make it abundantly clear what's welcome and what is absolutely unwelcome. For example, I'll, be, I'll go granular here. We just talk about honor, courage, curiosity. But I will literally say to a new employee, you know, if you're a gossip, you shouldn't work here. Because it's going to be really embarrassing when I walk you out the door for gossiping. If you say something to hurt another person, indirectly, directly, I'll walk you out the door. And some folks, they take the hit and they're like, I'm not going to fit in here. This is, you, you all do your thing, right? So it is a challenge, especially when we've, we've had a lot of folks. We engaged a uh, corporate psychologist and coach about 18 months ago, a guy named Bill McCo. What an extraordinary asset and his expertise have been to us. We have every employee coming in is interviewed by Bill, as well as we do the usual interviews with potential coworkers and future management, et cetera, and obviously myself. But Bill's experience in understanding how cultures transmit and how to screen for adaptability to that culture, it's been a huge asset to us. And I I recommend, if I may, I recommend that to any small company that's, you know, you're somewhere between eight employees and 50 employees and but you're still not hitting it with new hires. One out of two new hires isn't working out or two out of five isn't working out. Putting that big emphasis on culture and putting in place a screening tool for suitability, boy, it can save you so much pain because you just don't have the turnover. If you do it right, you don't have the turnover and every entrepreneur's turnover is poisonous. It's so distracting, painful, and costly. I think about the light switch that COVID was coming into whatever time frame, February, March, December, whichever one you want to start. And then when you're looking out, if you were three, five years down the road, looking back to now, what do you see coming? What do you think is going to change for what you guys are doing and based on the COVID experience? I think there's going to be a lot of poor quality retrofitting with a lot of the major medical systems huge regional medical systems are going to look at their business model and go, well, telemedicine's not going to go away. We can't push it back where it came from, you know, kind of marginalized, minimalized. People have a new expectation. So what are they going to do? How are they going to provide that access and how are they going to essentially distribute their product down to the individual level while still capturing revenue opportunities in procedures and imaging and labs? think they're going to really struggle with that because medical centers, healthcare networks, these are generally not progressive institutions. They're grounded in expertise, but the expertise tends to be historical. And by that, I mean, they have a huge investment in the standard of care and the standard of care was published in a book 18 months ago. And that's where we ground the delivery of medical care. 
most other industries have the luxury of saying, hey, let's go try this. Let's try this whole new way of doing this. And But no one's going to get killed. No one's going to lose their life. Or in medicine, if you goof that up, people can lose their lives. So I think it's going to be kind of a tumultuous, turbulent period here where we start trying to retrofitting and engineers call it kludging, where they're going to take some element of telemedicine, try to bolt it onto the machine. It's not going to quite work. It's not going to quite be integrated. But over time, it will. I do think it's going to take two to three to four years. I worry that the pandemic may not extinguish itself as we hope this winter and next spring. Every single thing about this virus, to loosely quote Dr. Fauci, it's like every time you think you understand this thing, it surprises you. It gives you a whole new thing like, what do you mean? Antibodies are not detectable. How the, how the hell is that possible, right? Or what do you mean? You, like some of the top scientists in France at the Pasteur Institute are looking at this virus going, this might be man-made. Like I, I can't show you a path in the conventional viral biology that would have resulted in the creation of this particular kind of virus. So if this was a bioweapon, and some smart folks are concerned that it is, key word there is weapon. And I don't go too far with any of this stuff, but a good scientist looks at all possibilities, right? This is probably a natural phenomenon. If it wasn't, boy, we got to really open up our thinking about what we're going to do in the years ahead to protect ourselves and to protect our world. The thing I saw, there was a comment the other day, and, and, there, and I forget who said it. They said, maybe we need to treat this like a Manhattan Project to take and start figuring out how we're going to deal with this, you know, like we had Zika and we've had Ebola and we've had SARS and, you know, all these different viruses that have come through the years. And you go, how are we consistently dealing with those viruses? And their comment was that there needs to be a mobilization of a, a larger effort to deal with virus per se. And I had a guest on the podcast, a shout out to Heather Callender Potter. She has a company called Pharmajet and it does a needless vaccination administration. And she was talking a bit about the RNA approach coming at some point on vaccinations. So it'll Mm -hmm. be interesting to see if we can get the momentum sustained to take an approach to this problem. And this is targeting the older folks that have additional problems, which are square in the middle of all the business owners that have worked really hard to get here. And they have concurrent problems and it will take them out before they get a chance. So to wrap this up, you know, I've been harassing you for a while and I really appreciate your time. <laughs> you know, great, I'll do this again. <laughs> I have a medical condition and he's out in Colorado. Anything that you would like to say to that business owner that's on the fence that might move them off the fence? Yeah, as a business owner, I'm going to speak in total clarity. I'm going to get right in your face, blunt, because honestly, as a business owner, you treasure those moments of deep honesty, so then you can make a good decision. Okay, so I want you to lock this phrase in your mind. The People use the term golden years. They're only gold if you made the effort. For most of us, they're going to be years of rust and decay unless you make the effort. And you're going to shortchange yourself. you got a lifetime of effort to building something really terrific. And you're going to shortchange yourself if you don't pay attention to your health. And I've I've lived the evidence. I've been at this for 22 years. I see who's exited early. And most of the time, it's completely preventable. On that particular 
piece of advice, my comment to the business owners, if you're unsure, all right, reach out to World Clinic. And Dan, I failed to ask, how do people find you on social media? It's actually pretty straightforward. We have a really great website, worldclinic.com. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. I'll honestly confess to you, Bob, that's not me that's on those things. Those are very sharp young people working in our group and they're highly motivated and half the time I don't quite understand what they're saying, but the information's there and we put a ton of stuff out there. One thing, actually, let me, let me lay this one on you real fast. Yeah. Every week, Bill Lang does a podcast about COVID and we started with this thing just for our patients and now our patients are sending it to their friends. Their friends are sending it to their friends and it's on the website. Bill Lang, Dr. Bill Lang, his COVID podcast comes out once a week and it is the absolute understandable clarity about what's going on, what you need to do, what you should be thinking about. I hate, this is an overused phrase. It's gone viral, but it's kind of gone viral. So that'd be viral squared. We like that. Yeah, it's viral (laughs) squared, but it's at the website, worldclinic.com, Dr. Bill Lang's weekly COVID podcast. That's that's actually worth tuning into. It's 15 minutes, boom, and you get great information. You know, the podcast platform, I think, is really growing leaps and bounds for communication methods. And for me, in the business community, it's been invaluable in basically highlighting the contributions that business owners make to the community and the overall employment of the country and for what you're doing and hiring and whatnot and continue to keep your business thriving. Hats off for a good job. And thanks so much for taking time out of your morning to visit with us. Sure. My pleasure. You bet. Take care.